But then there's another aspect, and we refer to it as his hidden, his unrevealed, his hidden, kind of like a mystery. His will, that things he wants us to, to do, but it's, there's no chapter and verse. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Acts for our scripture reading tonight. Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter 16, a very exciting story in the life of the Apostle Paul and the other uh, missionary men that were traveling with him. And they were, um, they were chugging along, doing a, a great work for the Lord. Things were kind of tickety-boo, falling into place, and all of a sudden they weren't falling into place anymore. And they weren't quite sure what was going on. And so, we're going to just look at one verse, verse number 10. And we'll read that all together. And then you may sit down. Acts 16.10, let's, let's read together. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. May God bless his word. Please be seated. Well, we're going to continue in our little series that we started on Let's Learn How to Pray. And by way of a quick review, lesson number one, make sure you're on praying ground. Make sure you're saved. And get fixed anything that is broken in your life between you and the Lord. And allow time for the Holy Spirit to comfort and strengthen you. That's really important. And I, myself, use uh, those last two points often in my prayer closet. I live in the world like you. I battle the world, the flesh, and the devil just like you. And sometimes things get broken. And so I need to get those fixed and I need to allow time for the Holy Spirit to minister peace and strength in my heart. Lesson two was about prayer being a two-way communication. Uh, and that's how relationships are built. Both parties are communicating. So number one, we let the Lord speak to our hearts by reading scripture. Number two, it's now our turn to speak to God. And I gave you six suggestions for what to say. In lesson number three, we said that conversational prayer with God throughout the day makes us comfortable. Comfortable. It gets us into the habit of being comfortable in God's presence. Get in the habit of talking to God throughout the day. And you don't have to get on your knees and stretch your arms and hands toward heaven to do it. You can be walking, driving, sitting, uh, and you can be praying. So sort of conversational prayer with God throughout the day. Asking God his thoughts and his opinions on something. Asking him for wisdom, his protection. Any other uh, items that the Holy Spirit brings to your heart. Lesson four, we talked about moving the arm of God through prayer alone. And the key in that lesson was learning to delight ourselves in the Lord. And that's important we learn to do that. As long as we're just focused in our own little world, 
we're not going to learn to delight in the Lord. Uh, married people need to really learn to live in each other's pockets. The two lives are supposed to become one. And as the years roll on, husbands and wives ought to continue to delight themselves in each other. And they ought to look upon each other as soulmates and the best friend in the world, uh, the best prayer partner, all of that stuff. And as we learn to delight ourselves in the Lord, my oh my, God says, stop the presses. I have found me someone here. And then God will begin to show himself strong on our behalf. And of course, we get more prayers answered. Lesson number five was last week. We talked about uh, specific things that God tells us in the Bible that we can pray for and receive. God really does want to answer our prayers. And that is an important um, mindset that we all have to get into. The devil has fooled some of us into thinking God's not really interested. He's fooled us into thinking that we have to grab God by the, the arm and twist and force God to hear us and answer prayer. This is so far from the truth. God is wanting. He is eagerly looking for Christian men and women through whom he can pour his power and show himself strong. And that is the truth. If you will remember reading about Adam after God created Adam, uh, they had great communication. Adam didn't have to uh, twist God's arm. They had two-way communication. Adam had a job that God wanted him to do. He was happy to do it. They were happy with each other. And this is the sort of relationship that we need to get into with God. It's... Um, Sad that, you know how God had to, to go seeking after Adam and Eve after they sinned? They didn't run to God. He had to go looking for them. And it's kind of sad when God has to come looking for some of us, his children. Shouldn't be, should it? We ought to get up in the morning and get alone with the Lord. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for a good sleep. Please, Lord, cleanse me of worldly ways. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. We ought to start the day right. And then through the day, we ought to learn to communicate with God and talk to Him and ask His thoughts and opinions, His wishes. It's a good idea, I think, to finish the day with the Lord as well. Uh, even if it's just a little bit of maybe Bible reading and prayer uh, right before you go to sleep. But it's a good, a good idea to start and finish the day with the Lord. So we talked about, last week, we talked about specific things that God has written in the Scriptures. And we call this His revealed will. Because He revealed it in the Bible. But then there's another aspect. And we refer to it as His hidden. His unrevealed. His hidden. Kind of like a mystery. His will, that things He wants us to, to do, but it's, there's no chapter and verse. Imagine that. Who, who should I marry? So you go to a certain book, chapter 17, verse 22, and there's her name right there. All right, okay, good, I got her name. Now, uh, 
It's got to wait till uh, I meet her or something. And, oh, you're the one. <laughs> Chapter 17, verse 22. Is that your name? Yeah, well, that's, we're getting married. It doesn't work that way. And so these, um, these things that we call his hidden will, what we need to do is look for indicators or like clues that will guide our steps to finding his perfect will for our lives in these areas that are important, but there's no chapter and verse that we can turn to. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. This may be our last lesson on let's learn how to pray. There's a whole lot more we could be teaching on prayer. And maybe later this year we'll, we'll do that. Maybe we'll have another short series and we'll teach you some more things on prayer. But I think tonight is probably going to be our last lesson in this little series. Let's have a word of prayer and then let's be ready for the Lord to, uh, to teach us his truth. Our Father, thank you once again that we can open the Bible and we can learn. Thank you that you love us and that you never stop loving us. And even when we're a bit of a disappointment to you, you still love us. Holy Spirit, teach us how to get thoroughly right with our Heavenly Father and to get fixed anything that's broken and to improve upon the daily walk and relationship we have with God. Now help us tonight, Lord, to learn this uh, important subject about the, the hidden things and the hidden will and how to find it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, again, folks watching at home, if you've just tuned in, please write in and uh, say hi to me. I like when you say hello. And please let me know how many of you there are that are watching. Well, um, as we said, there are things in life that we want to pray about. Um, we want to pray about getting them, or we want to pray about doing them, but we don't know if it's God's will or not. And this affects all of us here. Every born-again Christian at some point is going to wonder, uh, should I be doing this? Should I be asking for this? Should I be going to this place? Uh, what's God's will? How do we find the answer? Well, folks, basically what we're doing now, what we're going to talk about tonight, in, in, in its essence, is we're trying to find the will of God for our lives. That's essentially what we're doing. We're trying to find the will of God for our lives in these different areas and subjects, okay? So please remember, what we're not trying to do is counsel God and tell Him all of the 17 reasons why we think He ought to do this for us. We're not trying to strong-arm God, twist His arm, threaten Him. We're not trying to badger Him. We're not trying to uh, you know, kidnap the pastor. You can only have him back, God, if you answer this prayer. You know, We're not trying to do any crazy thing like that. We're trying to just find out, Lord, what's your will? Because God has a perfect will that affects every one of us in little different ways. And you know, it's a lot of fun. When you learn how to do it, it's a lot of fun to go about finding out the will of God. If you don't know any of these things I'm going to share with you, I want to encourage you to take some notes. Write them down. 
Because maybe this week or next week, you're going to need them. Um, now, the first thing, the very first thing you want to do when you uh, want to determine if something is the Lord's will or not, the very first thing you want to do is find out if it's definitely not God's will. Find out if there's a Bible verse that speaks against it. For example, should I play the lotto? I mean, it's $50 million, isn't it? I haven't a clue, by the way, what it is, but uh, it's $50 million. Boy, if I won that, oh, the things I could do. And for you too, God, I'd remember you in the picture. You know, I'd give you your share, your chunk. But boy, the things I could do. I wonder if that would be God's will. Or even uh, going to the casino. Oh, I could use an extra thousand bucks. Boy, if only I had a thousand bucks. I know, I'll go to the casino. Oh, some people say, boy, I, you know, I think I'll go play bingo. Maybe I can win the jackpot, you know, two or three hundred dollars or something. Boy, I could sure use that money. Well, all those things are forms of gambling. Gambling. Now, we go to the Bible and do we find anything about gambling? Right away, people who love their bingo and love their casinos and love their lottos say, <coughs> I've searched the scriptures. The word gamble is not to be found. Therefore, you see that kind of silly mentality. No, maybe it wasn't called gambling back then, but there's always been gambling. And so we find Bible verses that tell us to provide all things honestly in the sight of all men. We find other Bible verses that tell us that we ought to work for a living. We find other Bible verses that condemn get-rich-quick schemes. And so... The first thing we want to do is find out does the Bible have anything to say against what it is I got in mind? And so we need to search the Scriptures to find out that. Maybe another example. Um, maybe it's a bad example. But a lot of people today are having um, physical intimacy outside of marriage. And it's all over the TV programs and the movies, and it's considered so normal. Children in grade school are doing it. Well, is it right or is it wrong? Well, the Bible does tell us to live a pure life. The Bible does tell us that it's not right for a, a man to be touching a woman. There's other Bible verses also that tell us what happened to people who got involved with that kind of thing. And so this idea of physical intimacy outside of marriage, should I get involved? No. Because God has definitely given us a no-no on that. Um, so the first thing we want to do is we want to search the Scriptures to see if God has already spoken on the subject and told us, no, hands off, don't go there. Now, supposing you search the Scriptures and you can't find any Bible verse that says, don't do it. There is no Bible verse that uses either the specific word or the, the general principle. You can't find a Bible verse that says, no, it's not God's will for any of us. Don't do it. Hands off. 
then does that mean we can go ahead and do it? Not necessarily. Did you know that there are a lot of good things in the world, but they're not necessarily for you and I? They may be God's perfect will for someone else, but not necessarily God's perfect will for us. I'll give you an example. A young man wants to get married, so he says, I know, I will marry a royal princess. There's no Bible verse that says I can't do it. In fact, I even found a, you know, an example in the Bible where someone did marry a royal princess. Boy, wouldn't that be great? That might even make me royalty. I'd be marrying into the royal family. Imagine that. I'm going to start praying for a princess. Now, it's probably God's will for a prince to marry a princess. But chances are, for us common folk, it's not God's will. Is there anything wrong with marrying a princess? No. If you happen to be a prince, I think it's fine. But if you're not a prince, if you're not of royal blood, then maybe you ought not to be asking God to give you a princess. You get the idea? So there are a lot of good things out there, but they may not necessarily be God's perfect will. So, um, you need to start to discern if this thing is God's will for your life or not. And discerning is a good word. And it requires certain steps to discern if something is God's will or not. Christians have been known to beg God and whine at God over something they want. And they don't realize or they don't want to realize that it's not God's perfect will for their lives. But they won't give up whining and begging. And so what God sometimes does is he says, okay, you can have it. Now, there's only one thing worse than asking God for something that's not his perfect will. There's only one thing worse than praying for something that's not God's perfect will. And that's receiving it. Receiving it. When you receive something that's not God's perfect will, watch out. Because there's usually consequences. And we have examples of that in the Bible. The Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, they whined after God for flesh to eat. They weren't satisfied. And they whined and begged and made a nuisance of themselves. Psalm 106, verse 15, talks about that and says, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. And if you went back to the book of Exodus and read the actual account, yeah, they got the quail, right? But some of them ended up dying because of it. Uh, it just wasn't a pretty scene at all. So you can't just be begging and, well, if I just badger God enough, if I bother him and I, you know, call him out on this thing and I, 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 I use childish tactics like, I'll never talk to you again unless you give this to me. And God may say, okay, you can have it. <gasps> and so he gives it 
and we think we've hit the jackpot, and the next day we're dead. Or it's bitten us. Or it's exploded. Or other things have fallen apart because of it. So, very important lesson here. Sometimes we call this the permissive will of God. You have the perfect will of God, where he says, this is, this is what I, I need you to do in life. This is what I'm telling you will work. It's the best thing for you. It'll bring you happiness. It'll bring me glory. We'll have a great time together. But then sometimes the Christian says, no, 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 I want this way, this way. It has to be this way or no way. Mm-mm-mm, I'm not moving unless you give me this. And God may say, okay, I tried. I tried various ways. Have it your way. And sometimes we call that the permissive will of God. Be careful of the permissive will of God. Don't think that you'll be happy ever after with the permissive. It's the perfect will of God. That's what you want. So again, we have stories in the Bible of people who received the permissive will, but, you know, ended up with trouble. Trouble in their lives. So that's not what we want. How do we discern if something is God's perfect will for our lives? How do we do it? Should I live here? Should I live over there? Should I buy this car? Should I buy that car? Should I marry this person? Or should I marry that person? Should I remain single? Should I work for company A? Or should I work for company B? How do I know God's perfect will? Well, your Bible is open at Acts chapter 16. You have here one of the greatest Christians, the Apostle Paul. And so, uh, let me see here, we'll pick up in verse 6. When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, like they were preaching the gospel and winning folk to Christ and getting churches started, and all of a sudden the door started slamming and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After that, they were come to Mysia. They essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia assuredly gathering, underline those two innocent-looking words, assuredly gathering. They gathered all the pieces together and they were sure of the result. These two words here, uh, the idea in the the Greek words is like knitting, where um, you, you take you know, some yarn and you start knitting it together. Some people can take two different colors and knit them together. And before you know it, they got a beautiful looking scarf or sweater, you know, or socks or whatever they make. They knit them together. And this is, this was the secret here. This is how Paul knew the will of God. You see, Paul and company were a bit confused as to what God's will was at this point. They tried to go a few places with the gospel, but each time the door closed, what were they to do? All right, I'm going to give you six steps. How you can discern the will of God for when you're praying about something. And essentially, remember, we're talking to know the will of God for your life. 
You can use these six steps on just about anything you want to pray over as long as it's not part of the revealed will. God's revealed will. You don't have to be praying over that and wondering. It's revealed. It's there. But these other things, I have a big question mark over them. These are the things. I'm going to give you six steps. Number one, Scripture. Scripture. Now, in the case of the Apostle Paul, he had all the Scriptures. The Scriptures revealed the will of God was for them to preach the Gospel. He had that revealed, confirmed to him. So likewise, for us, we need to search the Scriptures with the thing we want to do or want to go or whatever, the, the big question mark in mind. We need to look for a verse in the Bible that will help support or where God will tell us that he'll bless that sort of thing. Oftentimes, as you're reading through the Scriptures, looking for an answer, the Holy Spirit seems to make a verse jump off the page. Now, when that happens, that's exciting. But stop, pause, and look at it two or three times. Check the context. Don't try and take a verse out of context. The context is there for a reason. That's very important. There are certain verses where if you just took the verse or half of the verse, you can almost make the cow jump over the moon. So you want to check the context and be sure you know what you're talking about. But Scripture is very important. God won't do anything apart from the Scripture. That's God's plan. These Christians who never read their Bible, they'll never know the will of God. And they'll bump from pillar to post, pothole to ditch, and it'll, the life will not be fun. They will never have the joy of knowing and, and uh, obtaining the will of God. And so point number one is the Scripture. If you don't have a good Bible verse that supports what you want or what you want to do, I suggest you stop right there and do not proceed any further. You need a word from the Lord on the matter. Okay? No, number two, circumstances. Circumstances. Paul looked at how all of the closed doors seemed to guide their steps to Troas. Troas was a port city in the Aegean Sea. So this was part of knowing the will of God. And he was saying, huh, Things were going great all the way up to here, and then bang, closed door, closed door, closed door, and here we are. And that was all part of knowing the will of God. Now, I, I want to caution you, don't take circumstance alone, because the devil can manufacture circumstance. Hmm. I told you a couple of times, I think, about this lady we used to have in our church back in the city of Ottawa. And she was a real nice, nice lady, but she loved her bingo. And she heard me preaching that bingo is gambling, ought not to be gambling. And she told me, Pastor, I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, if you don't want me to go to bingo, then make sure that I don't win when I go tonight. And Pastor, I won! And nothing I could say, nothing could convince her otherwise. She thought, God wants me to go to bingo. <laughs> you know, the devil, the devil can manufacture a win at bingo. So many Christian people 
have been sucked into the, the casino. They go and they say, I'm only going to take $50 with me. I can afford to lose 50 We'll see what happens. And they play, you know, the roulette or whatever those the games, they play those things and they say, man, look at that. I went with 50 I won 250 Man, that's pretty good. I'm going to go back next Friday after work. I'm going to go back next week and see what I can do. So they go back next week. Only this time they lose 250 And now they say, I've got to get that money back. I gotta get, I'm going back next week. Maybe I'll take 100 with me. And then they lose that. And that's how the devil works. And that's how people get addicted. That's one way, anyhow, that people get addicted. So be careful of circumstances alone. It's definitely a part of it, but it's not the be-all and the end-all. There are six things I'm giving you. One is Scripture. Two is circumstance. Three is confirmation. Confirmation by godly people. Look for the confirmation out of the mouths of godly people. Now, Paul here had a confirmation. In his case, in verse 9, it was a vision. A man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And of course, they needed help with the gospel over there. There were souls to be saved. A church in Philippi that had to get started. A jailer that needed to get saved. You know, great things needed to happen. Miracles needed to happen. And so here was a confirmation that God gave to the Apostle Paul. And likewise, God will sometimes have a godly person in your life who can confirm to you, yes, this is what you ought to do. An example in, in our own lives, my wife and I, is uh, about 23 and a half years ago, something like that, we were tossing around the idea of moving out here. Ah, should we do it? Shouldn't we do it? I mean, we had everything back there in Ontario. We had our home we had the church there. We had a little business on the side. The church was very small. Um, my wife's parents used to live out this way. They moved back to Ottawa to be closer to the grandchildren. And so we were really torn. We said, we've we got to get their opinion. And so we went over to, to their place one night, and we were scared. And we said, we, we don't know, but we think this may be what the Lord is leading us to do, is to move out here. Now remember, they used to live out here. They moved back there to be close to the grandchildren. That's our kids. And so here we are saying, well, we're not sure, but God may be leading us to move out here, to leave you and move out here. And at least I, I don't know about my wife, but at least I was ready for the, oh no, the weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth. You know, the crying, you know, the begging, please. You know, right away they, they looked at us and said, we think that would be the best thing for you. I nearly had a heart attack. I thought, what, what did I just hear? Was, was that English? <laughs> And they went on to tell us how they thought that would be a, a marvelous, wonderful thing for us. And we drove back home just shaking our heads. Do you believe what, what we just heard? We had their, their counsel and their blessing to move out here. And that was one of the keys as to why we came out. So confirmation 
by godly people. Now, bear in mind, all this isn't going to happen within five minutes. Well, I want to know the will of God. Get my stopwatch going here. All right, where's the scriptures? Where's the, the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, circumstances? Where's the, the confirmation? You've got to give it time. Things that are of the Lord, they're going to be around tomorrow. You don't have to worry. If you're being rushed and pressed into some frantic decision, that may, not, that may be an indicator it's not God's will. So be careful about people that are pressing you. You've got to buy now. You've got to jump now. You've got to do it now. Hmm? So number four is burden. The burden on your heart. Now Paul surely felt the never-ending burden of preaching the gospel to the people in Macedonia. He said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He had a great burden on it, a never-ending burden on his heart. This thing that you're thinking about, that you're wanting to do, or you're wanting to, to buy or something, how, how deep is that burden? Huh? Do the roots of conviction go down deep? Or is this something that you could change your mind next week? My wife and I had an example of this sort of thing when we were in the city of Ottawa. We, we needed a better transportation. And so we, were, we would drive by this car dealership and we would see on the lot a Toyota van. And we looked at that and we fell in love with it. And we thought, oh, it looks cute. And it carries all these people. Be good on gas. And Toyotas are known to have extra little bells and whistles. And we thought, I wonder if God would have us buy that. So we started praying because we didn't have enough money to buy it. We started praying, God, if that's the van that you want for us, make sure it doesn't sell. Make sure nobody buys it. Now, unless you, you didn't know this, let me tell you something about car lots and car dealers. They don't like their cars sitting around gathering dust. They like to sell them. They bring them in and sell them. Bring them in and sell them. That's the whole nature of the car business. They don't like it when a vehicle sits there and sits there and sits there. They don't like that. And that van sat there and sat there day after day, week after week. Weeks went by. Weeks went by. We drive by it. There it is. See? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. We're still praying, still praying. Well, then we had the opportunity to actually drive one. We had never driven that vehicle. We just thought, boy, that would be the perfect vehicle. And there was a ladies' conference and we rented one of these vans, you know, from a rental company, a lease company, no, a rental company, like budget, that sort of thing. We got one, and we drove down, uh, and we drove back, and that drive convinced us we don't want this thing. And we stopped praying for the van, because we said, no, the wheelbase is too short. I mean, you're going over all of these bumps and everything. I didn't think I had enough headroom. I'm a tall fellow. You know, it didn't seem like tall enough in there for me. So, no, nah, it wasn't right. We stopped praying for it. And within two days, I think it was, that van disappeared off the lot. It was gone. 
As long as we prayed for it, it stayed there. But when we decided, no, no, we really don't want this, then it disappeared. And what God did is He taught us a lesson. He taught us a lesson about praying for things. Because, let's face it, there are things that we look at and we say, wow, that would be good. That would be good. And then, after a few days, a week, a month, whatever, you know, we're saying, I don't know if it would be so good. Well, where is the burden? If there's a real burden, that is an indicator. I'm giving you six steps, and this number four is definitely one of them. If there's a deep-rooted burden, no, it has to be, it has to be, it has to be. That's how I felt about my wife. That's why I married her. No other woman would do. I mean, hooray, they're great gals, but they're not great for me. They'd be great for some other guy, but not for me. What's God's will? Well, burden. Now, it took me two and a half years to finally come to the point of realizing, duh, this is the perfect woman for me. And after that, I thought, okay, I'm ready. Let's get married tomorrow. I couldn't. I still had to wait another year and a half. That was tough. But at least, you see, the burden was there. It never, it never went away. All these decades and everything, that burden is there. I got the right one. Got the best one, too, by the way. <laughs> A little joke that uh, the, the preacher that married us, I sat down with him in his office before, before he married, my wife and I, and he said to me, now, he said, you, you understand this. You know you'll never marry the perfect woman. And I thought, well, nobody's perfect. And then right away he says, you'll never marry the perfect woman because I did. <laughs> so I thought that was cute. <laughs> so uh, married guys, you married the perfect woman, didn't you? Didn't you? Pretty quiet here. Of course you did. So burden, very important. Number five. And this one is another key. It's called peace. Peace. Peace on your heart. If you're praying for something that's God's perfect will, you will have peace. And God gives peace when we follow Him. And I want you to take a look at this. Turn to the right. The book of Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse number 15. Read it out loud with me. Folks at home, you read it too, please. Colossians 3.15. Here we go. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. This idea of letting the peace rule has been likened unto an umpire at a baseball game where the pitcher throws the ball, the batter swings, Misses the ball, the umpire says, strike one, or strike two, or maybe the batter won't swing, and the, and the umpire will say, strike. And you know about baseball, the umpire's word is law. What he says, that's what it is. 
And people say, ah, you're blind, umpire, you're this, you're that, but it doesn't matter. In baseball, what the umpire says, that's it. It rules. And it's the similar idea, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Do you have peace? Deep peace from God about this thing you're praying about. You see, when you know these things, it's really fun. It's like a a mystery, like a, a game almost. And the Apostle Paul went through certain steps in order to to know the will of God and what God wanted them to do. Likewise, you and I are praying about this, that, and whatever. And at any given time, I've probably got two, maybe three different things that I'm praying about. For years I've done it this way. Different things I'm praying about to discern if it's the will of God and some, some of them I have to say, no, I don't think this is the will of God, and I cross it off, throw it off the table. Other things, you know, I think this is the will of God, and I'll go for it. You see? So peace is a real key. Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So if there's no peace, then be careful. It may not be God's will. And finally, number six, stay surrendered. Stay surrendered. Don't be getting a one-track mind over this thing, whether it's a guy, a gal, a car, a house, whatever it may be. And it may be something good. But don't be so stuck on it that the Holy Spirit can't change directions. This is so important. Stay surrendered. Let the Lord have His perfect way. Even Jesus, when, when it came right to the Garden of Gethsemane, and He knew just what was waiting for Him a few hours from now, and He prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. But do you remember what Jesus prayed after that? Nevertheless, not my will be done. Thy will be done. Nevertheless, thy will be done. That's how you have to pray. Stay surrendered. A fellow says, boy, I, boy, if I was married to that girl, oh, boy, I think that would just be oh, heaven. Nevertheless, thy will be done. If it's God's will, he'll bring her to him. He'll, he'll do it. But what if it's not? What if it's She's meant for some other guy. Well, that's where we have to follow these steps. And if she's meant for some other guy, God will look after his heart. And God will give him grace and peace to let her go. And then God will bring the right one for him. And so this is very important. And I've tried always, always for things that I pray for that (coughs) are the hidden will of God. I always pray, Lord, this is what I think. But nevertheless, thy will be done. I do believe if you will follow these six steps, I think you will find his perfect will. Now you might be wondering, Pastor, why does God make this such a game? Why do we have to play hide and seek with God's will? Why can't he just show me his will? Huh? He could tell me, give me a vision or something. Tell me, here's what I want you to do. This, that, and the other thing. No problem, I'll do it. 
Why is it such a game? And the answer is to strengthen our faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Faith is a key for the Christian life. Romans chapter 1.17, Galatians chapter 3 verse 11, Hebrews chapter 10.38, The just shall live by faith. That's how we're to live our lives. And faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so that's why it seems like a game of hide and seek. Because it's an exercise of faith. And that's how God wants us to live. Because faith can move mountains. Once you learn to do it God's way, you'll never want to go back to living by sight. You'll never want to do it. Follow these six steps and I think you'll find that God will show you His perfect will for anything that's not revealed in the system. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.